Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, welcome to week two of our Never Settle series where we are, we're really learning what God has in store for Discover Church and not just Discover Church as we're gonna unpack today, but what God has in store for you, for your life in this next chapter, in this next season. Last week, I, I unveiled a vision that God has put before us that, that we would set our sights, we would set our focus on one clear objective, to see 250 people's lives changed by Jesus in the next two years. And what we're talking about is the kind of faith in order to be able to, to step out in that is the kind of faith that in order to be able to do what God is calling us to do, it's the kind of faith that, that's gonna require you to be a little excited and a little nervous at the same time. It's the kind of faith that's gonna move a child to, to dream of flight and then actually go through the process of making a jetpack and walking out and, and, and thinking that they're going to be able to launch into orbit. And I'm so excited to spend these next few weeks with you as we continue to unpack this vision. Listen, the vision is clear and the vision is simple, but it will not be easy. It will be costly and I can promise you it will be worth it because there's no thing that matters to God more than the souls of people. I know that many of you weren't here in the early days of our church. And so last week we showed a, a, a little video where we told part of that story. If you miss it, I'd encourage you to go to the website, scroll down, you'll see the Never Settle logo thing. Click on that, you'll see, be able to see the video. Um, but man, I, I feel today uh, as we go through this process the exact same way that I did in uh, the beginning of 2018 when we met with 20 people in our living room to talk about starting a new church. And we were not gonna open the doors of our church unless we know that there's gonna be at least 200 people there. And, and I tell you, I, I have the same excitement. I have the same enthusiasm. I have the same boldness and conviction now that I did then. And God's just stirring something inside of me that I think that maybe over the last couple of years, of, I don't know if anybody else, have you gone through any conflict in the last two years? Anybody? Am I the only one? Yeah. Something about what's happened in the last couple of years, I'll just be honest with you. I think I lost some of that conviction. I think I lost some of that passion. I think I lost some of that boldness, but God's just restoring and bringing me back to the same kind of boldness to stand in front of a group of, you know, roughly 250 or 300 people that God's calling us to a new impossible thing. And what we're doing in this series is, is we're unpacking this. And uh, I'm so excited uh, about what God is doing. And what's going to happen is there's going to be two significant Sundays uh, as we go through this process. I, I hope that you'll come back each week as we unpack the different elements of this vision and how we're going to go about the process of seeing 250 people's lives impacted and changed by Jesus. Um, but there's two Sundays that are going to be important. And, and I want to define them real quick because it's, it's easy. Uh, I got them confused confused as we were working through it. And so if, I, if I'm the one that's confused by it, I want to make sure that you're not confused by it. But at the end of this, on March 20th, we're going to have a Commitment Sunday. And Commitment Sunday is where we're going to come and we're going to bring our commitments before the Lord individually and collectively and say, God, we're, we're willing to never settle. And this is tangibly what it looks like for us as a family. This is what it looks like for me as an individual to do that. It's going to be a huge monumental day for our church. And then a couple weeks after that, April the 10th is a Sunday we're calling Celebration Sunday 
Because Celebration Sunday is where we're gonna unveil what that commitment total is and we're going to begin the journey together. We're casting the vision, we're preparing the way now. But on April 10th, we're going to begin the Never Settle journey and it is gonna be a massive celebration. And on that day, we're going to unveil um, something that's gonna help us track and, and, and be able to see the progress of what God is doing through us. And we're gonna unveil something that's gonna have 250 little spots. And every time somebody makes a decision, decision for Jesus, every time someone discovers life in Christ or belonging in community or purpose in God's call in their life or, or they begin to take a step to make a difference, every time someone makes that decision, we're going to have something to indicate that so that we can see. We talked about God's faithfulness today when we were singing. We're going to celebrate God's faithfulness over these two years because the goal is people. The goal is souls. The goal is lives that have been changed, that God loves, God cares about. And he sent us here. He's left us here to do something about it. And I want to talk about that today as we, as I share a message with you that I titled, Let's Uncomplicate Matters. If you have your guidebook, you can open them up to page 36. If you don't have a guidebook, uh, make sure you grab one. You can grab one out in the lobby. I want to give you an opportunity. There's going to be an area for you to take notes. There's also going to be uh, your discussion questions, some of the discussion questions for your small group. I'm sending out some supplemental questions as well um, because I heard from some of you last week that are small group leaders. You looked and saw four questions and go, oh, dear Jesus, how do I lead a small group with four questions? I got you, fam. All right, I got you. We're gonna get you some, some, some additional questions, but they told me I could only put four questions on the page. And I said, okay. Listen, if you're new here today, I wanna say welcome. I'm glad that you're here. I'm thankful. We've had a lot of new families and a lot of new folks that have showed up over the last few weeks. I'd just like to, for all of the folks that are, that are regulars, all the folks that have been here for a minute, all right, can we just put our hands together and welcome the folks that have been joining us over these last couple of weeks? I hear from many of you that you tune in online for a little bit. So can we all in the room, can we put our hands together and welcome everybody that's tuning in online. We love you. We'd love to have you come join us in person sometime. Listen, if you're new with us today and maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to Jesus, maybe, maybe you've, you're familiar with church, you're familiar with Jesus and what you were exposed to caused you to go, if that's what Jesus and church is all about, deuces, I'm out. Thank you very much. But listen, if all of this is new, or maybe you're skeptical, or maybe you have some wounds or some hurts from some church in the past, can I just tell you today, I want you to know, I want to be the first person, if I can, to tell you today that there is a God in heaven, his name is Jesus, and he loves you very much. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about what's going on in your life. 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth and died not just as a man, but as God-man. And he died on the cross and he, he went into the grave and, and he just borrowed it for a couple of days. And then he came out of that grave. And because he came out of that grave, he made it possible for us to experience victory and freedom and, and be able to definitively say that our past does not have to be the headline of the story of our future and our pain and our insecurities and our addiction and our anxiety and our shame and our guilt and the things that want to condemn us and the people that want to condemn us and what they did and what she said and all the things that have happened in our past do not get to have the final word. The cross has the final word. The empty grave has the final word. And everyone who places their faith in Christ gets to have the final word over all of that that says, I am a child of God. I am loved. I am rescued. I am redeemed. And my life is forever changed because of Jesus. And so if you don't know that today, I want you to know that today. 
And if you do know that today, then I want to remind you of that today because what God wants us to know is that the movement that God initiated at Discover Church wasn't new. When we launched in August of 2018, it wasn't new. It was new to you. It was new to me, but it was not new to the story of God. It was a continuation of a movement that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. And when he ascended into heaven, he left his disciples then with some marching orders. And the same marching orders that he left then, he left for us as well. Because Jesus made a promise that he's going to come back someday. And everybody who follows Jesus, everybody who, is, who has been saved by Jesus has been given these same marching orders. We see these given several times throughout scripture. I wanna illustrate two places of it today. The first in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. That word amen literally means so be it. This is referred to by a lot of pastors and preachers and theologians and scholarly people who like to use $9 words when a $1 word will suffice. I really thought that you would think that was funny. <laughs> I'm concerned that you didn't get it. And maybe, maybe I'm, it just wasn't funny. I don't know. But a lot of a lot of Bible people like to refer to this as the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission because it's the greatest mission that anybody could ever be a part of. And it's called the Great Commission because it's not something to be done individually. It's something that's supposed to be done together. It's the Great Commission. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said it this way in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, this is what we need to understand. And, and some of my Baptist brothers and sisters need to get comfortable with this, is that Jesus left Part of the reason why he left us so he could send the Holy Spirit. And what God's desire is, is that, that we, would, we would get comfortable with the Holy Spirit, that we could grow, grow familiar with the Holy Spirit and realize that it's not Jesus who gives us the power. Jesus gave us the marching orders. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to experience crazy, awesome, and amazing things in our lives, including the ability to go and make disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven is, listen, this is your, these are your marching orders. This is what I'm leaving you here to do. I am leaving you here. I'm going to go to heaven, but the day's coming. I'm going to come back, but don't freak out because it's to your, he said elsewhere, it's to your advantage. It's to your benefit that I leave so that the helper, the Holy Spirit can come because as long as I'm here, all you'll ever be able Able to experience is me walking beside you. But when I leave, you'll be able to experience the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And that same mission is what he has given us today. If you are a follower of Jesus, the mission hasn't changed. What's important for us to understand today, and this is so critical, is that these instructions were not instructions that Jesus gave to an institution. I'm going to say that again. I want to let that sink in for a second. These instructions were not instructions that Jesus gave to an institution. Oftentimes when we think of the church, we think of the building. We think of the structure. We think of organized religion. I want to make it very clear today that Jesus' marching orders were not marching orders to a building. It was not marching orders to a 501c3 nonprofit entity. These instructions were not instructions that were given to the institution of organized religion. 
These instructions were given to individuals who collectively made up what Jesus started called his church. And from that time, the church has expanded and multiplied and grown all across the world. Not the institution, not the organization, but, but the people have reproduced themselves spiritually across the globe. And Jesus gave these instructions to individuals. And from this time, moving forward up until our time, different churches have tried to, as they have gathered together in new locations, it's referred to as the local church. As the local church has gathered, then every local church that, that has sought to honor God in the way they operate has tried to figure out a unique, a unique way in their environment with the combination of their people and the gifts that God has given them, how to define how they are going to express this in their church. I want you to see how we express it at our church. Discover Church exists so that we can see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. This is a huge vision when you think about a city of 2.3 million people. But what God has done so well in the crafting and leading of how we word this is that it is a big vision that begins with small steps one life at a time. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And what we aim to do as we pursue the accomplishment of this vision to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time, what we aim to do is we want to help people discover life in Christ, discover belonging community, discover purpose and calling in order that they can make a difference. Now, we don't have time to fully unpack this, and I'll, I'll do another message on this, but I've, I've preached this before, that, that God has always designed and desired for every single person on the planet to take four steps in their journey with him. We define those four steps by discovering life, belonging, purpose, and making a difference. That's what God wants. That's what we're measuring. That's what the goal of this Never Settle vision is, that we could see 250 people take a step in the journey that God wants for them. But here's the deal. The world is a big place. Kansas City is a big place. And what can happen is, is when you hear the message of Jesus and the marching orders that he gave to his disciples, you could go, okay, got it. Go into all the world, all of it. All seven plus billion people one question, Jesus, I'm just one person. How am I supposed to impact the world? Or how, how, how am I supposed to impact a city? It would be easy for us as a church to do the same thing. Man, we're just one church. How is it possible that one little church that's about three years old could possibly change the world, could possibly see a city changed by Jesus? I believe that there are, that, that, that part of that that creeps in the doubt and that creeps in the confusion, the stuff that begins to complicate things and begins to, to think, man, it's just too big. It's too big. I can't do that. We can't do that. It, it's too large. It's too big. It's too great. It's too grand. And what I believe what happens is, is the enemy goes to work and speaking doubt into our minds and going, hell, it is. It's really big. And you're just one person. You're just one little church. Does anybody even know where you are? Do you know how many roundabouts people have to go through even to get to where you are? Thank you, Trace. And what happens is, is we get distracted, we get discouraged, 
We begin to feel overwhelmed and then we get, get distracted and then, and then we get sucked into life. I don't, I don't know about your life, but my life can be complicated sometimes. My life can be stressful sometimes. My life can be overwhelming sometimes. I'm probably the only one. But what happens is, is the bigness of what Jesus has called us to seems so impossible. And the, the importance of what is right in front of me seems so important. And so I get, I get focused and wrapped up in making sure the bills are paid and the kids are going to all of their events and that I make it to my meeting on time and that, do we have groceries? What are we eating today? And, and I don't have any underwear. If only somebody knew how to clean them things. And whoever does the laundry at your house is elbowing you right now and saying, this isn't a one-person job. And so what happens is, is we, we lose sight of what God has called us to do. We lose sight of the mission and it can just seem really big. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna, I wanna lead us through an exercise today because I wanna be able to, to get past the grand scale of it and the grand scope of it. And I wanna be able to bring it and put it right into our laps today. So I wanna invite you, this might be a little awkward. You're gonna have to really trust me and trust the person next to you, okay? Um, and y'all are like, what's getting ready to happen? I don't know. Everybody that's watching online is like, at this moment, I'm glad I'm at home. <laughs> I want you to do me a favor, in the room, online, would you just, just sit back, put your hands in your lap, Close your eyes and take a big breath and then exhale. With your eyes closed, I want you to begin now to picture the images of the faces of all the people that you know. Just think about the people at work, people in your neighborhood, the neighbor that you sometimes have to apologize to God for about the things that you prayed that would happen to them. Just think about your school. Just think about your kids' friends and their parents. All the people that you know. Now that you've got them in your mind, then I want to invite you to zoom in just for a moment. I want you to zoom in past all of the people that you know, and I want you to just kind of zoom into the people that you love and that you care about. I want you to begin seeing their faces. Maybe it's family, maybe it's friends. Maybe it's distant relatives, I don't, I don't know. Now that you've got their images in your mind, I want you to, to zoom in once more. I want you to zoom in on the face of somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, that you know right now is far from God. I want you to picture their face. I want you to picture their face I want you to open their, your eyes. I want you to write their name at the top of, of the page. Write that name down, whatever it is, whoever they are. I want you to just write, your, write that name at the top of the page. Now listen, here's what I know about you. Because you've landed on this person, it's somebody that you care about a lot. It's somebody that you love. It's somebody that means something to you. 
It's somebody that you have probably celebrated incredible highs in life with, and it's somebody that you have probably walked through some really difficult lows with. It's somebody that I would venture to say that you have probably prayed for by name. It's somebody that, that you know is far from God, and it's somebody that, that if they were to call you as you're on your way home from church today and say, hey, I just had this crazy encounter with God, and, and I've committed my life to him, and Jesus has changed my life, you would be overwhelmed with joy. You might even be moved to tears. With all of this as the backdrop, I want to unpack the first initiative of our Never Settle vision, which is that we are going to equip every person at Discover Church with practical tools for personal evangelism. Why? I can tell you why. Because regardless of how much you love them, how much you care about them, how much your heart has broken and how much you have wept when their heart was broken and they wept, no matter how excited and overwhelmed you were when they called and shared the incredible news, it's not possible for you to love them more than God does. God designed them, God created them, God imagined them, God dreamt them up and then God created them and made them who they are. God has hopes and plans and dreams for them. And God, unlike some of the experiences we've had with our earthly father, our heavenly father is not an absentee parent. He doesn't abandon his people. Instead, God loves them. God pursues them. 2,000 years ago, he sent Jesus to the earth to make it possible for him to be able to have a relationship with him if they would place their faith in him. And not only did God do that 2,000 years ago, God has now put you as a follower of Christ in their life so that you can show and you can share the love of Christ in the continuation of God's pursuit for them. Once you notice what First Peter chapter three says, it says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us that any not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want to, I want to personalize this again. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bring this down out of the ethereal, out of the big and the grand and, and the huge scale of it. And I want to bring it right down into our laps today so that, that we can feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us today about how greatly our God loves and cares about the person whose name is written at the top of your page. I've taken the liberty to put some blanks in this verse, and I want to show the verse again. And every time you see a blank, I want you to insert the name of the person who's written on your page. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards them, not willing that they should perish, but that they should come to repentance. This is God's desire for them. God's desire is to have a relationship with them. And the only way that they will ever experience the kind of relationship that Jesus desires for them to have, the only way they'll experience the kind of relationship that Jesus died for them to have is if they place their faith in Christ. But Romans tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
They can't come to the faith that's required to be able to have a relationship with Jesus whom you love and you care about who has radically changed and and rearranged your story unless they hear the word of God proclaimed to them in the story of who Jesus is and how his story has changed your story. Romans 10 says this in verse 14, and it illustrates that what God's delivery method of this word is. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's the question. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that the Spirit of God is asking every single one of us today about the person whose name is written at the top of our page. How shall they hear? What is God's method of delivery of his word? What is God's method of delivery for the good news? Well, I know it's the preacher man. That's part of it. But listen to me. We come together and we, we gather together as a faith family so that we can worship, so that we can fellowship, so that we can lean into the word of God, so that we can be changed by it, hopefully. And so that we can move beyond just, just gathering together and go, man, that was a good message today. Oh, the worship was on fire today. Oh man, that worship band is awesome. No, can I tell you, we gather together so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus so that anybody who has forgotten or needs to hear for the first time how good he is can can respond to his goodness and then we scatter back out into the community so that we can go tell people about how good our God is. Listen, can I tell you something? I love you. And it's possible that I might know a thing or two more about the Bible than you do, maybe. Maybe. But can I tell you something? You have access to rooms I could never get in. And you have credibility with relationships and rapport with people that I will never have. And so God's word says in Romans 10, 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Can I tell you something? The preacher in these two verses is not me. The preacher the original translation of the Greek is not the pastor. The preacher as translated from the original Greek is anyone who would proclaim the good news. And what I want you to see today is that you have been sent to go proclaim the good news. These instructions are not instructions given to an institution. These are instructions given to individuals. And what I'm going to try to do throughout the course of this series is not just to share with you vision and steps that God is taking the institution of Discover Church. What I'm trying to do is to help you see an invitation that our King Jesus is inviting us into so that we can carry them on as the instructions of individuals who have been saved by the power of Jesus. 
Because what I want for you and what God wants for you is for you to be able to get past it. If you feel like your experience with God and your experience with faith is something that is cold, is something that is stagnant. If your experience in your relationship with God is something that is confined by the box that you walk into to have church. If you feel like you don't experience powerful, supernatural, miraculous things in your life. If you don't feel like you see people's lives being changed as a result of God using you. If you feel like you're not seeing miracles happen as a result of God using you. If you don't feel like you're seeing addiction and freedom from anxiety and depression and alcoholism and pornography as a result of God moving and stirring and working in you. If you feel like the, like the description of your life is that my relationship with God is, is exciting at moments, but really it's predictable, it's boring, it's mundane, and it's uninspiring, then I believe that God is calling you and he's calling me today to see that this vision is not about a vision for an institution that's called Discover Church. It's a vision for God's people that are gathered here that call this place their church home so that we can make a decision. No, I'm not gonna settle for boring, mundane, consumeristic Christianity that shows up on Sunday morning and goes, boy, that was good, praise God for that. And then I go on about my life and I never experience the power of God, but I hear other people talk about the power of God. I hear other people talk about breakthroughs in their marriage. I hear other people talking about how their prodigal child come back. I hear other people talk about the supernatural power of God to bring healing to situations in their life or to bring freedom from bondages, but I don't experience in my life. And what God is inviting us into as his people is a recognition that these things are things that never settle believers are about because God wants you to experience the miraculous and the supernatural with consistency and with constancy because he is the same God who did it back then and he wants to do it now in you. But the problem is, is we've got to get, we've got to be willing to get past the mindset of I'm just going to settle down here. I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to get comfortable. No, I'm going to remain a pioneer. I'm going to go to where it's uncomfortable because that's where God is calling me to be. I'm never going to settle for the boring, mundane Christianity that I see so many people talking about. I'm going to be willing to do what it takes to get to where the action is. And I can tell you, there will be few things in your life that will cause your heart to pump and beat out of control than in the seconds leading up to the moment that you open your mouth and have a spiritual conversation with somebody that you care about so that you can ask them to consider Jesus. That's not boring. Now, some of you are gonna, well, let me share this verse with you. I told you that Jesus has sent you. Jesus said this in John chapter 20. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You. As the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. Not them. Don't worry about them. I'm sending them, but I'll take care of that. I'm sending you. Do you belong to me? Have I changed your life? Have you experienced the power of my love and grace and forgiveness? As the Father sent me to make it so that you can experience those things in your life, I'm now sending you so that others can experience it in theirs. Now, some of you are going to hear this and you're going to be encouraged and like, man, all right, woo, let's go. Jesus, I will run through the brick wall. Let, come on. A lot of us are going to hear it and going to be a little discouraged. 
Maybe you have a little bit of guilt or shame. Maybe, maybe you feel like, I don't, you know, I don't, what am I supposed to do? I don't have the gift of evangelism. I just want to tell you evangelism is not a gift. Evangelism is, is an instruction. I came across a research um, this week as I was, I was studying this, 2019 Barner Research Study. Let me throw that image on the screen. We see different colors here. Want to know where my people are. The orange circle are the millennials. Any millennials, 25 to 41, let me hear you. There we go. They had coffee this morning. The blue circles are my Gen Xers, 42 to 57. Where are you at, Gen X? Yes, represent, represent. The boomers, 58 to 76, where are you? Come on, love it, love it, love it. Now they categorize everybody else. I didn't do this, they did. Okay, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't choose this name. Use the word elders, it's a, it's a phrase of honor. 77 and up, do we have any elders in the room? I just spent all that time apologizing for nothing. <laughs> Let me show you what this says. The first row there says, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Across the board, overwhelmingly, every generation goes, yes. 95, 96, 97%. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Again, overwhelmingly, 94, 97%, yes. When someone raises questions about faith, I know how to respond. Again, this one kind of surprised me. Overwhelmingly, yes, 89, 86, 90, 92%. The bottom one there says, I am gifted at sharing my faith with other people. Now, the elders said 56%, but we get all the way up through the boomers and the Gen Xers and the millennials, 73% of millennials. This surprised me. Basically, what this says is that we know that as followers of Jesus, we know personal evangelism is a critical part of our faith. We'd love nothing more than to see the people we love place their faith in Christ. And we have a remarkable cover responding to people when they ask questions and feel equipped to be able to share my faith when asked. That's amazing. Honestly, it's pretty awesome. If all of this is true, then why don't we see more personal evangelism? Research says that well over 90% of Christians have never shared their faith with somebody and have never led someone to a new relationship with Jesus. So if all of this is true, then why don't we see more of this happen? Well, the next slide will show you. The next slide at the top says, it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Elders, 26%, Gen X, 19, or boomers, 19, Gen X, 27, millennials, 47% of millennials says it is morally wrong for me to share my faith with somebody in hopes that they will believe what I believe, even though they currently believe something else. What makes that complicated is that according to this study, every millennial reports Four significant relationships of people who have a different faith system than what you have. Gen Xers reported one. The last one. If someone disagrees with you, it means that they're judging you. Now, the elders and the Gen Xers, I love y'all. I, I was born in a wrong time. Nine and 11% said, no, that's stupid. 
Gen Xers, 22%. You doubled it. Congratulations. Millennials, 40% of millennials say, if someone disagrees with you, it means they are judging you. Can I tell you what this means? In other words, it's complicated. It's complicated to share my faith with people because of what they might think of me, what they might accuse me of being. It's complicated because almost half of the people, if you're a millennial, let me speak to the millennials, my people for just a second, almost half of us believe it's morally wrong. It's complicated. So it leads to this question, what are we supposed to do then? As followers of Jesus, who have been loved and rescued and saved by his goodness and his grace, what are we supposed to do in this world that is increasingly de- uh, that increasingly devalues Jesus, increasingly diminishes his news as good news, and is overwhelmingly fragile to different perspectives? This is the question. What are we supposed to do in this world? We know it's important. Most of us feel fairly confident and comfortable in, in, in answering the questions and having the conversation. But I feel morally compelled that maybe it might be wrong. I feel like maybe it's something, if somebody hears that I disagree with them, even though Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody gets to the Father unless they go through me. Some of them might think I'm judging them. I think there's two things that we have to do. Number one is this. We must embrace the cause of Christ as the greatest cause to champion. Let me say that again. We must embrace the cause of Christ as the greatest cause to champion. We live in a world where everybody has a cause. Everything. I was just having a conversation with somebody this week about how it's, it's discouraging our kids are going to grow up in a world with social media and so on and so forth where everything is a thing. It doesn't do any good to lament or grind, gr- whine or gripe or moan about it. It just is. But it makes it difficult and we get pulled in so many directions. Let's, let's jump on the race cause. We need, to, we need to fix the race problem. Okay, well, let's jump on the environmental cause. We need to fix the environmental problem. Okay, let's jump on the abortion cause. We need, to, we need to fix that problem. All right, let's jump on the food insecurity and housing insecurity problem. We need to fix that. We, we need to, we, there's all these causes, all these things vying for and competing for our attention. And because the mission that Jesus gave us, the cause that he told us to give our lives to seems so big and so grand and so impossible and I'm just me and we're just one little church. There's no way I can know what to do with that. So instead, as I will substitute out the cause of Christ for these other things, because Jesus also seemed to care about those things. Hear me clearly. As a follower of Jesus, we should care about the needs of people. We should care when injustice happens to people unjustly. We should care when people have are going without. As followers of Jesus with compassion and grace and mercy, we should care. But hear me very clearly. Jesus does not call us to care about those things more than we care about the cause of Christ. What is the cause of Christ? 
Romans 1.16 tells us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Greeks, for the Jews first, and then the Greeks. You know what this is saying? It's saying that what people need is to be spiritually reborn. And we can help the physical needs all that we want to, but if nobody ever addresses the spiritual problem, then at best, at most, what they can hope to experience is that their short little window of life here on earth, where scripture says life is but a vapor, boom, here today and gone tomorrow, we might be able to ease a small fragment of part of the burden of what they experience in their significantly insignificant span here on earth in relationship to the span of eternity. But first, Jesus calls us to go make disciples. But first, Jesus calls us to go be his witness. But first, we must be unafraid and unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Someone might be angry at you because you share Christ with them. How dare we be so concerned about our reputation and our ego that we would withhold the most life-changing, life-saving message that the world has ever heard? In his conclusion of this research study, the president of the Barner Group, David Kinneman, said this, and I'll tell you, I came into this week feeling like, Lord, I feel like I'm doing pretty good with this. I'm looking for opportunities to share my faith. I'm intentionally placing myself with pe around into places and spaces with people who don't believe the way that I do so that I can show and share the love of Jesus with them. I've invited more people to church than I can count. But when I read his conclusion of what this 2019 research study said, the spirit of God reached into my soul and said, my son, you've got so much work to do. This is what he said. Cultivating deep, steady, resilient Christian conviction is difficult in a world of you do you and don't criticize anyone's life choices and emotivism, the feelings first priority that our culture has made a way of life. And this was the sentence that got me. As much as ever, evangelism isn't just about saving the unsaved, but reminding ourselves that this stuff matters, that the Bible is trustworthy, and that Jesus changes everything. Ooh. I had to push away from my desk when I read that and said, Lord, forgive me. Because it is clear that there are times in my life where I have forgotten that this stuff matters. I believe the Bible is trustworthy. I believe that Jesus changes everything, but I don't believe it enough to have a conviction to be constantly on the lookout for people to share my faith with. As people who are truly saved, rescued, redeemed by Jesus, we can and should identify with many of the causes that are competing for our attention and our effort. However, the one cause that rises above them all is the cause of Christ. The souls of people being saved and transformed by the love of God. A loving heavenly father who is pursuing them to have a relationship with them. You go, well, well what, you know, but what if people get offended though? What if people want to debate me? 
I'm worried that they're gonna ask questions I don't know the answers to. What, what if I mess up? Can I just tell you, the point of personal evangelism isn't about winning debates. The point of personal evangelism isn't about proving how smart you are. The point of personal evangelism isn't about checking a box. The point of personal evangelism is showing gratitude for the person who loved you and loved the Lord enough to come and tell you about Jesus. And you deciding, I'm not gonna settle here in this space and allow that good news to stop with me. I'm going to choose to never settle and I'm going to share that news with other people. The second thing that we've got to do is we must invite people to come and see for themselves. I want you to see how this works in John chapter one. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I want you to notice what happened. Philip's all excited. I can't wait to tell Nathanael. Nathanael, where you at, bro? Dude, I gotta tell you, we found him. Which he's a little wrong here because he didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him, but it's okay. He's excited. This is, what Nathaniel does is what you're going to experience when you begin to practice this in your life. Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's a ridiculous question. Listen, you need to understand that when you begin to pray for and God opens up doors of opportunity and you walk through them to share your faith with Jesus and show the love of Jesus, people are going to ask you ridiculous questions. Sometimes they're going to ask you ridiculous questions because they want to be ridiculous. They're going to ask you ridiculous questions in hopes that they can catch you up and trip you up and, well, you're an idiot and if you really cared, you would have all the answers to all my questions like, if God is so good, why does evil exist and why do bad things happen to good people and what happens to the people in Africa and all these things. Listen, can I tell you, it's not that those questions aren't important, but for them in that moment, it's a ridiculous question and you can fall guilty of chasing that ridiculous question by feeling like it's your responsibility to provide an answer to every ridiculous question. Oftentimes, what you need to do is you need to recognize what a ridiculous question looks like and you need to go, I'm not gonna let them deflect and distract because I'm not, I'm not concerned about winning a philosophical debate in an argument. What I'm concerned about is the condition of your soul, even if you don't know how serious it is. Sometimes people ask you ridiculous questions because they have real serious questions that they want answered. They're not trying to mess you up. They're not trying to get you off your game. There are things that they are really, really wrestling with and they're only ridiculous because they require a ridiculous amount of knowledge and study to be able to answer some of those questions. I want you to notice what Philip does. Philip doesn't get distracted with ridiculous questions because Philip did not come here to win a debate with Nathaniel. Philip came here because he met a man who changed his life forever. He met a man that his religion, the prophecies had been prophesying about for generations, for thousands of years. And he finally met the man that his Bible, the Old Testament law has been prophesying about and Philip wasn't concerned about debating with Nathaniel about, well, let me give you three reasons why Nazareth is a great place for good things to come from. Let me show you the schools. Let me show you the standard of living. The taxes are really low there. He didn't go into, well, let me tell you five people who've come out of Nazareth that have gone on to do some great things. 
He didn't go to Facebook and let me find you an article. He didn't go to a website. Let me, let me find some proof. He didn't call his pastor and say, hey, pastor, by the way, his pastor would have been John the Baptist. Hey, JB, I need to, I need to talk to you because I got a friend named Nathaniel and, and I need you to sick him. Sick him. He's a little bit of a rascal. He asks some crazy questions sometimes. I don't know the question of him. So JB, can you go and just sick that dude? Because if he can just hear the answers to your questions, you know all the answers to all the things. You can just line it all up for him and then give it to him. And his life will be changed forever. No, that's not what Philip does. I want you to notice what Philip does. Philip does the one thing that breaks down and breaks through every prideful heart. The one thing that breaks through every heavy burden. The one thing that breaks through every difficult question. Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see, Philip. Come and see, Nathaniel. And I don't have all the answers to all your questions. All I know is that man changed my life. Come and see. Philip and Nathaniel start going. By the way, you know, studies tell us Easter's coming up, by the way. I read something last year that like 80-something percent of people, if they were invited to come to Easter Sunday with somebody that they care about, over 80% of the people would be inclined to say yes. You see, what is Philip doing? He's bringing Nathaniel to where Jesus is. Based on the authority of God's word, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also in the midst of them. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come and see Nathaniel. I love what happens. They don't tell us how long they went. They don't tell us how long they walked. They just tell us that they went. Jesus saw Nathaniel come in verse 47 and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. You notice what happens here? Jesus doesn't start answering the ridiculous questions. Can I tell you something? If you have been in this situation, you know that once you see Jesus clearly, none of the questions matter. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. How did Jesus know that? Because Jesus created him. Nathaniel responds, how do you know me? Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Here's the takeaway that we need to understand. Whosoever's name is written on the top of your page They've been on God's heart a lot longer than they've been on your heart. He sees where they are. And in the same way, he sent Philip to go get Nathaniel. God is wanting to send you to go get them. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. You see, when you see Jesus clearly, you can't help but want to follow him closely. You say, preacher, that doesn't work today. Yes, it does. And I'll prove it to you. I want you to watch this video. Josie's been coming to our church, her and her husband, Ryan. <clears throat> it's pretty amazing. This month marks 16 months that Josie's been clean and sober. She mentioned about how they lost their five-month-old a few years ago, but just this week, I believe it was Tuesday, 
Josie and Ryan welcome their brand new baby boy named Jason to this world. This stuff matters. The Bible is trustworthy. And Jesus changes everything. This first step of our never settled vision is not instructions given to an institution, but an invitation given to us as individuals. And I'm asking and I'm praying and I'm hoping that you would see that a never settled believer embraces the question, won't you come and see? And extends it to as many people as possible. You know, the quickest way that we'll see 250 people's lives changed by Jesus is every single one of us make the decision to never settle and purpose in our heart that each one will reach one for God's glory. You can start now. You can start praying about it, praying for the person that's on your page. You can begin pursuing them, looking for opportunities to share and show the love of Christ. But I'm just going to tell you this fall, we're going to do an entire teaching series about evangelism. We're going to unpack some things. We're going to provide some practical tips and practical tools to help you. And we're going to be challenged to take a spiritual journey together by being asked of ourselves one question, who's your one? Who's your one person? that you're praying for regularly, that you're looking to serve regularly, that you're connecting with regularly so that their life might be changed like your life has. Listen, this is just one of four of the initiatives that we're gonna undergo together as a church to see 250 people's lives changed. And I'm asking you now, would you begin praying? God, how would you use me? as instructions not given to an institution, but an invitation given to me as an individual. God, I'm listening. How would you invite me? How would you use me in this process to see 250 people's lives changed by Jesus? Now, I alluded to this last week. There's some financial components to this. I'm not asking for you to give the church something. I don't believe God wants something from you. He wants something for you. And he's he's inviting you to prayerfully consider, what would you be willing to do so that 250 people, their life could be changed by Jesus? And I wanna invite you now, as we prepare for March 20th, Commitment Sunday, would you look in your guidebook starting on page 26 and would you begin going through the process of just asking those questions, seeking the Lord and praying, God, how would you use me? It's my hope and it's my belief that we will see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time, and never settle is our first step in that direction. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.